0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Church Public. I am glad you joined us today. There is a lot going on, so get ready, get set, and let's get started. My goodness, there is a lot going on these days. Welcome back, family, friends. I am glad that you joined us today. We just want to continue on working through what it is like to live in the culture and in the faith. This is Church Public Podcast, and I am really glad you joined us. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, check us out on social media Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Church Public is the address there. I'd love to hear from you and interact with you there. Also, if you have questions, go ahead and send them through the DMs there. Um, There's a lot going on, obviously. You know, the one that I want to start with today is that this Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University recently completed a study. Their study is about biblical worldview. Biblical worldview, like, what do you think— of the Bible, some of the claims of the Bible, and what does that look like to you? They did it across all age ranges. Just as a as a quick introduction, the different age ranges are the above 56 years are, um, and then above 70-some uh, years. Those are elders and boomers. Uh, for the sake of this, I'm just going to group those into one, and then ages 37 to 55 is Gen X and then below 36, um, really 18 to 36, if we're talking adults, are millennial generation. There are a couple different distinctions in what is a millennial, and if there are two groups of millennials, uh, those are details, and I'm not going to get into those today, but for the sake of this, their general uh, finding for the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center, what they found was that only 6% of Americans adhere to a biblical worldview. In the 90s, that number was around 12%. 12% may not seem like much. 6%, of course, is half of that, and it is uh, striking the decline that has been going on. And that's not just in the younger. So even in the elders, the boomers, again, that's above 56 years old, that means only 9% of them subscribe to some sort of biblical worldview. And then as you go down, Gen X, 37 to 55 years old, only 5%, the most alarming to me, the most alarming statistic is in this millennial generation. That's 18 to 36-year-olds, so only 2%, 2% of 18 to 36-year-olds have a biblical worldview. And as a reminder, The millennial generation is actually the largest generation, I believe, I'll I'll check my mouth on this in a bit, but I believe in the history of the world. It is the largest generation in the history of the world. So only 2% of this largest generation is a really striking and should be an alarming number. Now again, this is only American studies, and there are differences in other parts of the world, but in terms of biblical worldview, in terms of Judeo-Christian societies... America is one of the largest Judeo-Christian societies in the world as well. There are some pockets of Europe still, but Europe has uh, largely become post-Christian. Um, Canada is another one, but uh, there are some differences in Canada as well. So again, for the, what we're talking about today, we're just going to continue to talk about America. And in terms of biblical worldview, just to explain what I'm talking about, to explain what the study is talking about, um, there are things... That uh, Barna has defined as biblical worldview, and things that if you are a believer, follower of God, if you uh, are a Bible reader, these won't sound uh, these won't sound weird to you at all. But to again, this millennial generation, only two percent now are subscribing to something like this. So things like believing an absolute truth exists, they don't believe that. They don't believe the Bible defines truth. They don't believe that Jesus lived a sinless life they don't believe that God is the creator of the universe, and they don't believe that God still is uh, involved in the universe today at all. They don't believe salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned. They don't believe Satan is real and uh, etc. There, There are a few things that are involved in this, but this is the typical biblical worldview. If you, again, are in this older generation, maybe you grew up in some sort of church and you have heard some of these things, but to put it in perspective, again, so when we're having these conversations with people, when we're trying to figure out where they are coming from, where are other people coming from, we need to remember and understand that only 2% of people believe this, and uh, of others in that generation, the millennial generation, even the Gen X generation, many people will not even have heard these things or understand where they come from. Um, So they're Additional things in the study that uh, are of interest, and as we're, again, trying to bridge this divide between culture and faith, that's what we're trying to do here at Church Public, bridging the divide between culture and faith, these are important things to understand as we're talking to people, as we're interacting with people, maybe some of us are teachers, as we're teaching, as we're trying to figure out how do we have these conversations and how do we continue on and figure out what it looks like to share Jesus share values, share morality, we have to understand where people are coming from in order to make these connections. Uh, a biblical example is when Paul goes to the city of Athens and he's he spends some time looking around trying to figure out how to interact with them. Now again, Paul, in his main goal in evangelism, he always went to the synagogue first. He went to Jews because Jews already knew about God. They already knew about the God of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They already knew all the stories. So, in fact, they were really easy to talk to and to say. Now, a lot of them didn't like him, and they tried to kill him multiple times because they thought he was heretical. Okay, that's a thing. But in terms of history, in terms of ideology, it's not a hard swing to say, hey, this God that you've known for your whole life and who you know has promised a Messiah— hey, we have this Messiah in Jesus, and he can have that conversation, and that actually, ideologically, philosophically, is an easy conversation. But then he went to the city of Athens, and you may or may not know something about the city of Athens, but it is world-renowned for its philosophy. A lot of Western philosophy came out of Athens, in fact. So he goes to the city, and he walks around for a while. You can read through this in Acts, uh, the book of Acts. And he walks around, and he's trying to figure this out, and finally, he comes into this. There there are all these idols set up. They have an idol for everything, an idol for the sun. They're worshiping the sun. They're worshiping the moon. They're worshiping the earth. They're worshiping a uh, blade of grass. Who knows? There's an idol for everything, and he, he makes this, this statement, and then he finds and, and see, what they had done, I love this story, what the Athenians had done is said, hey, just in case we forgot to name all of the other gods and all of the other idols, we're going to write this, this plaque, this idol, to the unknown god. So, right, it's like covering your bases. Like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to worship everything, but I might have forgotten something, so I'm just going to say, in case I forgot something, here's the idol. And they call it the unknown god. And so, Paul, uh, he goes, oh, I got it. So he goes to them and say, hey, what you guys thought was not known, I bring to you as known. And this thing that you didn't understand and you knew there was something else, but you couldn't quite put your finger on it, you couldn't quite figure it out, he says, hey, that is Jesus. And he finds this inroad there. And that's the thing that we have to continue to do to bridge this divide between church and culture. We have to find this place in between the culture and our faith and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, And there is, just like in Athens, a lot of idolatry around, a lot of worshiping, all kinds of things. I talked about Mother Earth on our last podcast. And again, I thought, so this was 2,000 years ago when Paul's talking to them. I I thought the idea of Mother Earth had gone out a few years ago, but apparently still alive and well. Anyway, that was the last podcast. You can go listen to that if you want to. So as we continue on this conversation and some of the other things that came out of this survey are things like narcissism. Um, and and, it, and it, was, it was said in this way. Millennials, in this study, by their own admission, are less tolerant than previous generation, which is interesting because they're known as the generation of tolerance. But again, by their own admission, in this study, they say we are less tolerant of ideas that are not our own, ideas that we don't agree with. Study goes on to show that this generation is more likely to exact revenge when they're wronged and less likely to keep a promise, and they don't have respect for others. And this is a weird one, they don't even necessarily have respect for human life in general. And the really sad part of the study is that they're they're more likely to believe that this, this human life has no value. Um, but that totally makes sense when you think about the fact that if... We don't have a meaning, and we don't have a purpose, and we don't have a foundation, and really this is all there is, this 40 to 80 years of life, if you're, if you're lucky, maybe a few beyond that, then what is the point? Then you do start turning into yourself and saying, well then, I'm going to do the best for me that I can and the other person is of less value than I am. That is actually a very logical conclusion. It's the end of social Darwinism, and it's it's really a Machiavellian type outlook. Though I, I'm not sure any of these, I, I'm not sure many have really read Machiavelli. Um, if you want an, an odd and maybe it's terrifying read, go go read some Machiavelli's The Prince. But anyway, so this is the opposite of the gospel, and and this is narcissism. Because because narcissism is this idea that you are the center of your universe. And it makes total sense then that if someone does something wrong to you, you're going to want to have revenge on them. And if someone makes a mistake to you, you don't have room for forgiveness because the other person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And this, this may be beyond the terms that most people express, but the Innate intuitive feelings because we're all about feelings now. That's what comes out because we all have those feelings. When someone hurts us, of course, we feel wronged and we feel like there needs to be justice. And if you don't get justice from some other higher moral authority like God, and you're not getting justice from the government, which is what we are seeing um, in all of these protests and riots that there is not enough justice, then you have to be the arbiter, the bringer of justice. You have to be the one to bring justice to your world. And that's why it totally makes sense then that you want to exact revenge. You will not offer forgiveness because you have been wronged. And there is no other way that you can see to uh, to adjudicate, to help the wrong, Right. So this is troubling for me, and it should be for you, for the loss of the foundation of the country, but it also... For the loss of the foundation of self, because narcissism at its core cannot be fulfilling because it is solitary. It is alone. If you only care for yourself, you're going to find yourself alone in this world. You're going to be more broken and you're not going to be fulfilled in your life because we were not meant to be alone. Again, going back to Genesis, if you believe in such things as the Bible, One of the first things that God says is, it's not good for you to be alone. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he made man a companion, a woman. We're not supposed to be alone, and Jesus doesn't want you to be alone, and Jesus doesn't want you to be the center of your universe. It's kind of like that whole thing with Galileo Galilei when he said, hey, the earth is actually not the center of the universe. There's this other thing called the sun, and everybody thought he was a heretic, and he was crazy. In the end, I would say he's proven to be true, right? But in your aloneness, the other really sad thing that we're seeing play out in real time is this, where you either get really depressed, and we see depression, mental illness, suicides off the charts right now, or you get really angry, and we're seeing the anger in cities all across America, or both, you get really depressed and angry, and these combinations are just terrible. And that leads us to this presidential debate. I did watch the debate Tuesday night, and it's hard to comment on all that happened. Um, So what I want to do instead of getting into the nitty-gritty and all the details is just comment at a 30,000-foot view, Uh, the, the really high view of the debate at this. Many times what I noticed is both of the presidential candidates and the moderator were basically shouting, talking over one another. So I'm not going to comment on any individual pieces in the debate at this at this point but what i want to make the observation about is this debate is illustrative of where we are as a nation we have many different perspectives and that's always been true humans always have many different perspectives. But one of the biggest differences right now is we cannot actually have a debate. We cannot actually have a dialogue. And this is a really, really important point that I want to drive home that I hope you can understand. And hopefully, if you're listening and you're participating in this, that you have the uh, the idea and you really want to have this dialogue and you want to have this this interchange and this debate, because that's what we really need. We really need to have the dialogue and have the debate. In the last episode, I talked about how, as a culture, we've lost the dialogue, and now all we do is fight. And this is another example where we're just fighting and we're not talking anymore. We're not listening anymore. These are all really important things to do. And throughout history, there have been two distinct kind of worlds. There have been warring tribes and there have been debating civilizations. In ancient Greece, even, we just talked about that a moment ago, you may be somewhat familiar with the Spartans. Maybe you saw the movie The 300, even if you haven't studied uh, Greek history, but you know that The Spartans fought hard and died for what they believed in. But really, that was an example of a warring tribes. The Greeks were uh, vicious and terrifying, warring tribes. And basically, they just fought for thousands of years with each other. And then they began to become more civilized when they began to talk with one another. And it's this talking that led to some of the greatest poetry, the Iliad the Odyssey, some of the greatest philosophy, some of the greatest history and uh, and civilization e- even in terms of politics and the formation of society that the world has ever seen and a lot of these concepts we use today in in various points of our lives I'll, I'll skip the details for right now but you have these two different, ideas where you're either in a warring tribe and you just fight and fight and fight and fight or you talk about your differences and come to polite hopefully conclusions and we've lost this idea of dialogue we've lost this idea of actual debate and actually hearing a person out getting to the bottom of it and and getting to what can be the best way to move forward. I don't think my ideas are the best ideas. I don't think your ideas are the best ideas, but I think together we'll be better if we bounce ideas off one another and come to the best solution. This is actually a great example of what Jesus called the body of Christ. God called us, the followers, the body of Christ because we all have different gifts and we all have different skills and we all have different perspectives on how the world is supposed to be. And when we bring those together, we create this thing that we could not have done individually. And we need to continue to pursue that. We should not have to do this alone. That is the saddest of all circumstances. So how do we get through this? The society in the Greeks and in many other civilizations is only elevated when people began to talk to each other. And this idea of forgiveness and mercy and grace cannot be overstated as well. Christianity is one of the few ideologies, religions, truths, where having mercy, having grace So mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is giving what you don't deserve to someone else. And forgiveness are actual values. And we have not taught most of this new generation those values. If only 2% are subscribing to a biblical worldview, and we hear from their own admission that they're less likely to forgive and more likely to to exact their own revenge, we have not done a good job of teaching them that grace and mercy and forgiveness are actual values that not only help society, but help you. They help each individual become less burdened by the hurts and hang-ups of the world, and they help the whole society because then we can get along together rather than judging and condemning and literally fighting with one another. This is a really hard concept because it's hard to do. It's easier to talk about, but it's hard to do. And this society that we need, in difference from this shouting machine that we do over and over again, we have to pursue these dialogues, and we have to pursue this talking together. And we see that in justice, right? We see that because this justice that all parties in politics fought so long for is no longer satisfactory. That's one of the big things that we saw. We saw that justice apparently cannot be served. Um, When Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away and the Supreme Court justice seat was available, many people argued that the whole thing was immoral and that they had to burn the whole thing down. And that's not a good place to be as a society. If you disagree with something, make the argument about it. We should be able to dialogue about that, but to threaten to burn it down when you don't agree doesn't actually accomplish the goal of coming together. It only isolates further. And are these just words? Is this excessive rhetoric? Maybe, but maybe we've processed further forward than we'd like to think. Maybe we've moved beyond dialogue into a place of shouting and yelling and power struggles. This is connected to the survey at the beginning because without this firm foundation, without this foundation in God, without this foundation in morality— It's clear we're pushed and pulled wherever the wind and the waves take us. Americans at large do not have a foundation, and we need to work on building this foundation, teaching each other about the ideals of grace and forgiveness that only come when you know that there is a creator, when there is a God who loves you and gave up so much for you that you can then pass that on. We see this, again, playing out in real time. The survey is a confirmation about this, but even without the survey, you see it. You see it when you walk around. You see it in the judgment that people lay on you, and maybe you even feel it in your heart that it's hard for us to not judge one another. It's hard for us to give grace where other people don't deserve it. It's hard for us to withhold justice, to have that mercy, uh, not giving people what they deserve. Those are hard things for us, really, that I believe we can only do with the grace and mercy of God and with the power of the Spirit in our lives. So, thanks for listening today. I hope this was helpful to you to understand more of where we are. I mean, we are in a difficult place and a place that is escalating very quickly in the temperature of what is going on around us. So you can be a person of peace. You can bring that mercy. You can bring that grace to this really hurting world. So when you see someone today that is hurting, when someone hurts you today, you have the choice with the power of God, with what God has done for you to change your reaction and to really make waves that have consequences that you may not even know. The The beauty of this is that it's not about one person. It's about all of us who follow Jesus and want to make his grace and mercy known make his good news spread throughout this world from your little family to the city to the state to the country to the whole world. That is what Jesus said. Go and declare the gospel, the good news, the resurrection of Jesus, and the grace and mercy that it brings. So I hope that you do that today. I hope you have a great day and that you continue to share this good news. So God bless you and keep the faith. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really appreciate you tuning in. Go ahead and like and subscribe. Check us out on churchpublic.com. You can check us out on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Church Public. Look forward to hearing from you. God bless. Keep the faith.